Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Take the chair, Pete. Let's fly. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for the season three finale, episode 313, That Hope Is You, part two, comes to you now via never-before-seen Discovery Data Core. Pete, after, shall we say, quite a week, so glad to be here talking Star Trek with you, with our listeners. And uh, Pete, let's jump to after the end of this episode. Many people uh, online, dare say Pete, on Twitter, uh, bidding the show adieu in what they perceived to be uh, was the series finale. Can you give us an update? (laughs) Yeah, filming since early November in Toronto without interruption, Matt, is season four of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, Sonequa Martin-Green, Doug Jones, you got your Wilson Cruz. uh, They've all checked in. We're going to get more Blue Del Barrio. We're going to get more Ian Alexander. Okay, they're all coming back. We're even going to get more David Ayala, more on that a little later in the podcast, but there's more Star Trek discovery where this came from. Also, a picture uh, from Wilson Cruz this morning on Twitter um, suggesting, didn't come out and say it, but heavily suggesting that not only is Anthony Rapp, of course, back uh, acting in Star Trek Discovery, but uh, either directing or shadowing Olatundi Atsunsami, the uh, director and producer. Uh, So, Pete... uh, I get how this episode ended was an end of a story of an episode, a season, nay, a three-season storyline, but uh, far from the end of the show. And now for our mission briefing. The young Gormagander pup hologram from 3052 floats by as Dr. Culber watches it dissolve into the bulkhead of the crashed Kelpian hollow ship, and he can feel for the radiation damage on his face. Elsewhere, Sukal notices Saru's burns, and he explains that he is ill, and Sukal hands him kelp for his wounds. Culber has looked everywhere, and conditions are deteriorating, Sukal's outburst must have caused a breach in the ship. Saru has to be gentle with Sukal, or elsewise another burn could occur and destroy the remnants of the Federation. Culber encourages him to reveal he's Kelpian too, and then Adira shows up as a Zahian. Indeed, nice use of the Zahian. I mean, it's not obviously a literal reuse of the physical makeup used to make Queen Poe, but a nice use of that aesthetic. Adira has brought medicine to extend that radiation story clock. By the way, Pete, with that ever so slightly snarky comment, let me just say, this is a fantastic episode, and any any criticisms I have are are, are taking off taking off half a point from an A-plus episode here. So so I don't want anybody to misunderstand my intentions uh, there. Uh, with that, Sukal wanders away, and Gray walks in, 
uh, not a huge surprise given the whole connection between uh, the Grey presence and Adira, but Colber and Saru see him as well. As it a Vulcan. Indeed, as a Vulcan. And Pete, that blue hair just looking great on, on the character of Grey. Uh, he does but, have kind eyes, too, as Colber uh, notices. Absolutely. It's explained by Saru that the Hollow must be recognizing him. Uh, perhaps that's some story hand-waving, but Pete, it's science fiction later on, the inside of Discovery. It's science fiction. We can give them some fictional leeway here. Um, ultimately, Colber hugs him, uh, Gray having missed the physical connection. They could talk and walk, uh, but the hollow shimmers, and instead it's time to try and find a way out and contact Discovery. So that a little bit of a framing kind of of the not quite mission of the week. It's not quite that pedestrian, uh, but it's just kind of a restatement of the thrust of their story. With that, we cut to space where there's a fight outside Federation headquarters, uh, the Viridian firing on those shields. Inside, other ships are either firing or preparing to fire Pete on the seditious Discovery. Kovic inside the HQ ready room reminds uh, the Admiral of the rare nature of the spore drive, but no dice uh, the reminder that if Osira takes the ship, hanging on to that technology, albeit with uh, Stamets not quite factored in one way or another, if Osira takes the ship, then it's curtains. So it's essentially, Pete, kind of like a no a no lose scenario in that either she they destroy the ship with her on it, or they win the ship back with her off it. And crediting you here, Matt, something that on the rewatch more apparent to me. Uh, the faraway dialogue for the first time in this scene with Kovic um, triggering or, uh, you know, essentially highlighting. What... Yes, I, there are a few points in this episode where I think uh, it is the best possible version of this episode under the conditions, which is to say, you know, we were told that they had shut down a week before the general shutdowns of March 13th and COVID, etc., um, I suspect Pete, maybe they kind of did a little bit of a hurry up, like instead of taking three days to do the last three days of shooting, can we do two 18 hour days? Perhaps there were things like that. Perhaps in the edit. Oh, I wish we could go back and get a shot of whatever. Can we go get Sonequa? No. Can we go do that? Can we get somebody on Skype to record a couple lines? Yes. Um, so we see that here a bit and we'll dig into that more in the future. Uh, back on Discovery, Osira is going to focus the ship's firing on a shield generator, which is actually hidden as a secondary array. Uh, she's a, a genius, Pete, that Osira. Uh, Burnham is also brought to the bridge. We get reminded, kind of carry over from last week's episode, that uh, a truth serum is on the way for Booker, or rather, Booker is going to be brought to a truth serum. Uh, Pete, he'll end up, once he gets that truth serum, he'll end up singing like a sorrow hawk. Burnham gets a slap in the face from Osira and is reminded that there's a plan to have Booker chart them to planet Dilithium. Uh, also, Osira has uh, a new plan to get all regulators to Dex 5 and above. Pete, in these early scenes, lots of really effectively hidden recap and effectively mm -hmm. hidden kind of at the beginning of the up. Uh, of the episode, we update you to say, I must go here and get this. You must go here and do that, etc. You know, it's a necessary thing to do, and I kind of marvel that they they, they just chew through so much exposition, and it feels completely organic. 
that's the function of showrunner and writer here, Michelle Paradise, moving all the pieces into position. Uh, so with that, there's also discussion of taking Discovery to uh, Emerald Chain Base 755. I'm going to get reinforcements, something echoed in a moment here by the Federation. They know they'll head to the closest one. This alliance having been refused and Osira intent on obliterating the Federation. Uh, but now we have uh, Firefight, we have uh, Burnham's crew, a little bit of foreshadowing there on Deck 7, advancing to the bridge, uh, and we're going to get uh, Aurelio to uh, quickly pull the information out of book. Matt, there's a brunette lieutenant that is not Nilsson that I thought so we had Mirror Nilsson, right, who in the Mirror Universe, she has uh, brunette hair, okay? Uh, but in our universe, she has blonde hair. Nilsson is seen separate from this other character. Who the heck is this other brunette lieutenant who is in these last two episodes who never, ever gets named? Uh, Pete, towards the end of this episode, she gets named as Lieutenant Ina. Um, I'm, I, here's my favorite. Theory, and I have not read this anywhere. My thinking is that perhaps the actress playing Lieutenant Nilsson maybe was not available for some reason. Uh, and then they went to actress Ava Blackwell. Pete, you have seen her on screen screen many times before. You have not seen her looking like this. She has played every one of the uh, Osnillis characters, the ones with the big kind of squiddy uh, heads. Yes. So yes. I think... Again, I don't I quite know. I thought she looked different now. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I don't quite, again, I don't quite know the origin of why they went with Inna versus Nielsen. Uh, again, I suspect maybe perhaps the Nielsen actress was not available. But in terms of, hey, here's a lady that's put on a really challenging mask in one, two, three, four different uh, versions of the character um, to then get the to then get the call up, um, you know, hey, you get to sh show up with merely normal person pancake makeup and, a, you know, a normal uniform and whatnot. I think I think perhaps that was the, uh, the the tip of the hat to that performer there. So welcome to the crew, Lieutenant Ina. So we've got Ina. We've got the rest of the bridge crew here uh, fighting alongside with the DOT 23s. Couple are down as they execute a flank maneuver. And then the Emerald Chain having left the deck here. Wait, is that wind? And the life support shut off imminent here. Tilly quickly orders everybody into a turbo lift. And the computer informs us and them that decks 6 through 18 are now sealed. And Federation HQ knows this as well. Okay that the lower decks, Matt, are in trouble. Oh, my God. Will we ever see lower decks again? Yes, probably in the spring. Um, Stamets arrives at HQ as well, asking for a reprieve in the firing, uh, but Vance sends him to a civilian ship to get him as far away as possible. Um, interesting, Pete, there's kind of like, you know, uh, there's the song, How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria? I think this episode in the writing said, how do you solve a problem like Stamets, who uh, has certain wants, certain needs, certain skills. The solution is he's barely in the episode. Okay. A choice was made. Um, well, I mean, 
the recognition that he is indeed an asset. He's the only one we know of yet, Matt, who can operate the spore drive. Uh, he is of strategic importance. They're going to put him onto the civilian emergency transport foresight and get him as far as way up as possible here. Vance knows, tipping his hand for a little later in the episode, what he is sacrificing. He apologizes, but his shields are going down here. They're preparing to pursue uh, Discovery and the Viridian to Chain Base 755, and then they get hailed, Matt. Uh, sound effects only. Uh, no, not really a lot of special effects that it's a fleet from Navarre uh, as Discovery is attempting to exit. Yes, I would add to it Pete, ultimately, I was glad that we did not see a lot of the ships from Navarre. I mean, don't get me wrong. There was lights and shapes that were firing things, but we kind of didn't get, you know, the beauty, Star Trek, the motion picture, close-ups of the the digital models, etc. Perhaps that, too, a, uh, you know, a product of the production schedule impacted by COVID. Uh, Pete, ultimately, for as much as I'd like to geek out about, you know, what is that blob beneath the other blob? Is it a sensor thing, you know, and whatnot? That's actually not what Star Trek is about. It's not about pouring over pictures of models and assigning them, uh, you know, fake functions in a technical manual. Um, the story impact here is that the, the, the fleet has been sent to help out. Back to Discovery, we go. It's a dire situation, but Osira is ready to drop uh, the pesticide canisters from the, uh, the Viridian blow them up and use them against the fleet. Burnham tells Osira that she's outgunned and outmanned. It's indeed time to talk. Vance gets hailed, uh, and it's Burnham who has initiated this call. She says she wants the ship to be let go. Trust the crew on the ship to not let him down. Besides, of course, without Stamets, the spore drive is useless. Um, Vance considers this and closes the hail in dramatic, you know, smash the phone back on the receiver thing as one might have in olden days. How you hang up a hollow. <laughs> yeah, how do, you, how, how you do it when you're angry. Um, Osira is ready to detonate those pesticides, but the Federation ships, we're told, have backed off. Uh, with that, Disco and the Viridian warp away. In the credits, we see that the uh, the script is by Michelle Paradise, as you mentioned, and the director is the, uh, the wonderful Alatundi Atsunsami. Sukal's kelp has helped Saru, but more wounds will appear. Saru would like to prepare a meal here of sonulem, a traditional food from Kaminar that uh, Sukal recognizes. He's always wanted to make it, but the hollows don't give good instructions. Saru would be happy to teach him. He learned from his father and he served it to his mother and his sister. But Sukal has never seen a human hollow eat that. Things are not always as they appear. He's really like Sukal. And this gentle nudging with uh, Sukal's special nature grasped, but not still quite clear to everyone, uh, continuing. Seru has learned these traditional, these old ways from his father. These are precious memories of the past. 
Yesu call. This must be confusing. Things are not always as they appear. Sometimes Star Trek is not real. Uh, back to warp we go. Uh, we see the goodies and the baddies. Pete, I don't know that this was the most clear shot ever to say. I mean, Discovery is clear enough. Viridian is clear enough. The fact that there's other ships in tow, I don't know that that was over-the-top expressed wonderfully. Again, I, you know, I think ultimately, you know, could you see it? Yes. Does it end, Do the good guys show up when the bad guys drop out of warp towards the end of the episode? Absolutely. Do, does the show get the benefit of the doubt, given that this was all done in people's homes? 100%. The effects that we get in this episode are phenomenal. Uh, the story then moves to the Discovery sickbay. Zara wants to use the neural lock, but Aurelio says violence isn't necessary. I didn't know what you... That you meant what you said, Osira. Um, discussion perhaps <laughs> later. We all love Kenneth Mitchell. And we're all glad that Kenneth Mitchell is on the bridge at the end. Uh, I think we could have uh, an intellectual debate later on. Is Aurelio complicit on some level? Um, but ultimately, he gets told that Orion hearts are more complex that, that, uh, than human hearts. Uh, literally and ergo metaphorically. Pete, he gets choked out for his troubles and told that he's useful to her not vice versa. This is not a partnership. Stunning to see Osira, who is both more than she appears to be and exactly what she appears to be. Stunning to see her so callously throwing aside the little people that have made her ascension possible. Zara uh, puts the lock on a book here. He's going to die from the agony. It's what you call your no-win situation, but Burnham uh, never identified as having taken the Kobayashi Maru. You know, she doesn't believe in those no-win scenarios. And Book grunts in pain here. Uh, how can Saru be Kelpian, though, back at the crashed ship? Uh, the hollow changes... Planet Dilithium. It's okay to call it Planet Dilithium. They're they're not outside planet dilithium though. Well, they've they've landed on they've crashed on planet dilithium. <laughs> tomato tomato. The hollow changes sometimes here. Long ago, the one door led to Kaminar. Now there are other worlds, uh, and they talk about outside. But Sukal does not like outside because it is scary and it is different. Uh, the hollows also told him that the Federation would come for him from outside. Why didn't they? Um, wanting is not the same as doing right, Matt. Uh, Pete, so very true. And here, you know, Sukal drawing a line, he prefers T O H those old hollows. Pete, he's not a fan of how the, the generators, for the hollows are now making TNG the new generations. Um, he's just not a fan here, but uh, as you say, tell him the truth and the world shimmers a little bit. Um, he ultimately gets told warp drives malfunctioned. It impacted everyone, but they're here now due to Sakal's mother. She never wanted him to stay in this hollow story forever. Uh, with that, Sukal goes through a door. Um, and uh, again, this is where I'm not being critical this is much love for this episode here's the story function of him going through a door they wanted to end the scene so he walks away you know it's if this was on stage okay and he walks off stage um back we go to the disco med bay where book we're told is towards the end of his stamina 
and Burnham is so concerned for him. Um, also, it uh, it shows uh, that the oxygen levels for Tilly and company are are uh, dipping precipitously. Burnham says, wait, fine, stop it. I will talk to Book. I'll try and get the information out of him. She moves close to him. She tells him that she's sorry for the pain that has happened. And then, Pete, this is why you have Sonequa Martin-Green as the lead in this show, going from sympathetic to steely. She apologizes that it's going to get worse. She she punches a chain goon, takes the shotgun, shoots him, maybe shoots another, activates the quarantine force field. Okay. Um, which That was inspired, wasn't it? <laughs> it, it I, as this episode is being filmed in late February or early March 2020, that, that, was, uh, that, that certainly was an interesting choice. Pete, again, with love, the tiniest quibble here that the particular way that the uh, quarantine shield goes up allows her to leave out one exit. Could you explain it story-wise? Sure. Did she press the right buttons to get uh, quarantine shields 1, 3, 7, 8, and 12 up in a way that gives her exit and prevents the other baddies from going after her? Sure, it works. I want to say it's ever so convenient, but it works. And uh, off they go with Osira and Zara trapped on the other side. In engineering... Uh, the crew is running out of oxygen and passing it around here. They want to give it to Kayla Detmer. She seems to need it. Uh, Awoshikun gets some some uh, additional uh, fleshing out in this episode here. We learn that uh, she was holding her breath for at least 10 minutes by the time she was eight years old. Uh, Detmer didn't even know that this was at home in Nigeria where they would free dive for abalone in the Ugbunky caves. Uh, Bryce has bad news. However, there is no way to bypass the chain computer. Uh, Reese uh, asks about a hard reboot. Okay. Uh, but, and we learn from Lieutenant Ina, they have to be able to access the data core a location on the ship we've never ever heard about could could be new as a result of the the retrofit and programmable matter and uh, sphere data and and all that uh, but they need to be able to get there they overhear the code read on deck five by Zara so they know that Burdum and book are getting it done okay we find them in a corridor uh, book is able to uh, to go on foot absent the uh, transporters from location to location because of all the adrenaline. This makes Sigma 10 look like a vacation. Pete, just to go back to the Owo speech earlier, uh, let me put on my, my neural lock on my head for a second to forget that I've already seen this episode twice. Um, viewing this from the first, the first view point of view here, I buy that they are starting to set up the death of Owo. Later on, they continue to set that up. And I right. think that it's the ultimate restraint in the best sense possible that they they set you up for that. Maybe even, Pete, to draw you away from other things that you should be looking out for. But then it's a surprise towards the end anyway. Again, to not do it. To show the restraint. To just say, well, i got to kill somebody because, you know, Joss Whedon once said you got to pay a price and people seem to like Buffy so we got to kill off I don't know one of these Canadian people like to not do it shows the the writerly mindset here um 
But we get to, as you said, Pete, we cut back to Burnham, um, who has stolen a regulator badge. She opens a shipwide channel, gives a coded message, uh, which uh, recounts, we're told a little bit later, the story of Tilly's bad birthday, Burnham helping her out all at one of the nacelles. Uh, that what's the point of the message then? The story Tilly intuits Tilly Pete, who by the way I had been so opposed within the story uh, to her ascension to first officer based on her credentials. The last three episodes ago, two episodes uh, two episodes ago, this episode show why she's the right choice. Mm-hmm. Um, she so quickly intuits it's not just a code or what you know it's not just a code for the sake of code. Uh, Burnham wants them to go to the nacelles. Why a bomb would eject the nacelle. Uh, and knock them out of warp. Uh, it'll have to be one of them, you know, Team Tilly, as I like to call it. Uh, but Tilly, First Officer Tilly, wearing those First Officer stripes there, notes that uh, the the crew with her can die here or die saving the Federation. It's up to you. Fantastic moment here for Tilly, who who has a character I doubted. Uh, back on the hollow ship here, Kaminar, the door that Sukal went through, it's gone. Where did it go? Well, it was never really there. There are other worlds out there. Uh, they're different from the hollows. He's always felt different. And like him, Saru was once at a crossroads and also fearful and it's this monster that's actually trying to help you that's behind the lock door that you need to face let's go find that kelpian elder meanwhile we've got uh culber adira and gray gray is able to go because of his nature past the edges of the ship where culber could not he heads out there uh culber and Adira have a discussion about Sukal, who he uh, believes to be a polyploid, uh, an individual whose genes were affected by his environment, um, that they could create a situation where he would interact with the dilithium. Uh, a genetic connection, Adira notes, to subspace. Wait, our warp core reacted to something. Uh, Sukal had gotten upset. His scream traveled through the dilithium with its subspace components. Whatever frightened him 125 years ago was infinitely worse, hence the burn. And Gray returns to let them know that the ship is falling apart and the shield will not hold much longer. So... This scene, a bit of an info dump, a bit, I think, an attempt to say, you know, the show has known this all along, but it's now time for us to answer the question, what caused the burn? And to answer it with some science and answer it with some uh, something of a definitive nature. From my taste, the, you know, steps one, two, three, five, the, the, the many steps to explain this, it perhaps comes a bit fast and furious um, again, I remain sympathetic to, you know, maybe this is something where they would have said, you know what, Wilson, you don't leave until a day after tomorrow. Come on back. We're going to do a quick two hour reshot, reshoot of something we're going to, and maybe they were just packing up and preparing to lock down as did so many millions of us. So again, any of the kind of final product faults here 
small as they are in my mind get get more consideration than uh, than usual Sukal and Saru find the elder's chair empty uh, and Sukal says the outside is still terrifying to him uh, he liked best the stories from the elder perhaps Pete the elder's name was Gene I don't know but he's gone now it's time for new stories and new adventures we go back to Discovery where Team Tilly is fading fast but Tilly tasks Owo with finishing the mission and taking the rest of the oxygen. Owo says that she loves them all. Pete, again, blind eye towards we all of us knowing the end here. It's a fitting final goodbye. It makes me buy into the, 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 the weight of the episode, uh, the weight of what she's doing. Thank God um, they did not kill her off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the feeling in the moment is what counts, and... I'll just perhaps not hint because we all know how the episode ends. The somewhat surprising, somewhat not, and we'll dig in further at the end. You know, the reveal for Burnham's fate at the very end. Maybe on some level, this oh whoa sleight of hand. Oh, are they going to kill her off? Maybe that's meant to keep us focusing on that as opposed to some of the other story pieces, um, because all of these pieces work individually so well, and they're all in one episode where it's all working well together. Burnham and Book fight their way into a turbo lift when they then open the gigantic inner space again, science fiction. Okay. Adapted from science fact uh, of the discovery. Uh, Burnham heads off in a separate turbo lift with doors open book fights Zara. Uh, ultimately Burnham through this Wonka Vader ride gets to the never before glimpsed data core that in no way looks like the uh, conference room aboard Federation headquarters. It does not have the same uh, white architecture or table in the middle uh, and a totally new cube thing. I think that where, uh, if indeed Pete, it is a redress of that set. And I, I suspect you're probably right. I think that where they're able to get extra oomph is this data core is um, solid in all three dimensions, if you will. Whereas the uh, some of the conference room and some of the Federation HQ stuff, we've seen it presented with you know uh, the the programmable matter, you know the walkway appears and disappears and, and things of that sort. So I think in our mind, obviously the HQ set is you know as physical and it's got definitive floors and things like that uh, as anything else but in our mind's eye we see it as this kind of more flexible space whereas this is not a flexible space and if it is a redress it, it's working because this this doesn't do the magic things that the other one does and it's a really it's a really smart uh, use of it uh, Pete what ensues in that space though is what I would argue one of the better physical fights in all of Star Trek. Uh, it, it did lack the Shatner-esque two hands together kind of punch. <laughs> but, you know, Or the Michael Dorn, you know, uh, palm upward, you know, kind of thing. But it's a, it is a really jarring, you know, bone jarring fight in the best sense. You know, it's not too violent or anything like that. But it's also helped by the camera work that Olatunde Yatsunsami is overseeing. Perhaps some shades of JJ, you know, and like, let me tap the camera to, to give motion and whatnot. But it it just, there's a, there's a visceral nature to it. It does. Osira being there where she would have gone as well if she was in Burnham's 
shoes. We cut back to book fighting uh, Zara in the turbo lift there. All the while, uh, Awoshikun is running low, even with her ability to hold her breath, Matt. They're, they're leading us down a path. Is it curtains for her? But there's a, a dot droid that, that you can't be here. What about the magnetic field? It'll, it'll get you. But uh, Awoshikun must stand here. And the chemical bomb is detonated. Uh, at warp, the right nacelle comes off, yet they still kind of have it tractored on there, so it doesn't completely go away. They wobble out of warp into an act break. We come back, more fighting here. Osira is told they have dropped out of warp, and then Book kicks Zara, not to the curb, but to the expansive space inside Discovery where he smacks a turbo lift and meets his fate. These two scenes are all about the little details. The fact that it's, you know, oh no, is a curtains for oh whoa, and find the dot is there to help, but then we quickly cut to the explosion and the ship falling out of warp. There's there's the tension there. Um, and indeed, we get the bit of dialogue in the Turbolift fight about, you know, Zara says, who's going to make a bigger stain down there? You might even say down there at the bottom. But there's this notion of when you reach the bottom, who's going to have a bigger stain, you or the cat? Uh, then the fact that Zara gets kicked out. OK, fine. We had set up last time that there's going to be a next time when we fight. The fact that Zara alive does not hit the bottom, that he hits a well-placed Turbolift, presumably taking him out before the remains of his carcass hit the very bottom you know that's that's all a fun bit of business there um in the data core the fight is uh is is in its final act burnham gets pushed into pete what i who have read that star trek next generation technical manual so many times i who have gone on many a uh many a, a, a click hole on you know star trek resources to learn about these proposed uh, or imaginary technologies. Pete, in that spirit, I'm going to say Burnham gets pushed into the data goo crystals. It's a it's a technical term. Um, is this curtains for, for Burnham? Osira walks away, turns, hearing something. Pete, again, restraint shining through here for Jeff Russo and his music. The moment of silence. You know, you, we've had loud, 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 loud. The moment of silence. Uh, rifle shots sing out. Osira takes three of them. Burnham pushes her way out of the data goo crystals. Indeed, Pete, on second view, she vomits up a few. Um, unlike the first time. Oh, well, there you it's go. Still horrible on rewatch. Um, ultimately, unlike Osira, Burnham never quits. She does not, Matt, and we're all better off for this here. She's able to reset the computer at the table that admirals in uh, different scenes and different locations have conferenced around. She restores life support, tells everybody to report to the bridge. And then we see that one of the DOTs has saved a Woshikun here. Everybody's back on the bridge. Even the previously unconscious uh, Aurelio, um, and they're being fired upon by the Viridian that has since sucked them in. They're stuck inside it. And uh, Captain uh, Tilly uh, gives permission to implement 
Burnham's idea, uh, sight unheard. Yes, lead us. That's an order. I, I must confess, Pete, even in the moment here, I did not see this bit of dialogue as set up for the end of the episode. Um, just because, I, you know, if nothing else, Sonique Martin-Green is the lead of the series and things tend to come back her way. But I, I say that in the context of being really impressed with how the episode ends. But back to this point here, Burnham nods. They need to get out of here. They're going to eject, uh, eject the warp core. Astonished reaction, astonished reaction. But how will they get out? Uh, Aurelio notes that Booker's uh, telepathy can let him connect to the spore drive. Pete, at least that's what the show says. There is in this scene literally a 10-second chunk of dialogue over footage where you cannot see people's mouths. I think that this definitively was a late addition in the editing. I would even argue, Pete... Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll turn off my, my, my kindest considerations here for this episode being edited and whatnot in the age of COVID. There's a Detmer line that sounds a little like not recorded as good, undoubtedly recorded in her home or something like that. Um, and I, I, w- I would have wished that the audio quality was a smidge better, but criticism over. It sounds like a good plan. Lieutenant Ina here named, uh, is, uh, told to beam Booker to the spore cube as uh, we're all going to get ready to overload the warp core. Every production uh, struggling with these needs. So <clears throat> this is not criticism. This is pointing out how, how they got it done. Um, you know, lesser productions would have uh, shied away or, you know, who knows what it would have looked like that, but his uh, empathic connection to the spores here going to help them out um, back to the hollow ship where everybody has rendezvoused. There's the monster. There's the door. Uh, Culber shares a scene here with Adira and Gray and really, really tugging on the heartstrings here. Uh, Gray is fearful, much like Sukal, mirroring here going through the door, but Culber assures him that he and Stamets are going to find a way for Gray to continue to be seen. This is set up for next season. Uh, inside, Sukal places his hand on the panel, and we get the hollow message from his dying mother. There's the flashback of him as a child and the scream. Uh, leading to the burn, the realization of what he has done. But his mother wanted him to feel connected and loved, and he turns around. It's just a great moment of uh, reflection here and and edited in, in such a way, blocked in such a way that the reveal of Saru as a Kelpian for the first time to him and his face is beautifully done. Culber, off-screen, uh, calls for Discovery. Uh, on Discovery, Book says that he's got a story about his namesake, the real Cleveland Book Booker, uh, but that's a story for another time. Uh, a short trek, perhaps? Uh, Pete, they've been back since November. Surely some of these people have off days where, oh, Book is not needed uh, for the engineering scene that we're shooting on Monday. However, can we have you, Mr. Ajala, go to... Stage two, where we're going to talk about the Cleveland Book Booker story. 
Can I um, get the uh, Can I get the the Tilly's No Good Terrible Birthday short trek? Uh, Pete, I, I mean, I mean, no joke. I think all of this is possible. Um, and again, I know previously short treks have been done after the season has wrapped. I think they've got to be having less people on the set. They've got to be COVID aware as they are filming. In my mind, to sit and say, "Hey, we don't need five electricians standing around." um to be at the ready in case a light goes we only need two you other three go to stage two where we're shooting something else and go you know go go ply your craft there um particularly given pete i suspect between now and the fall we're probably going to have very little live action star trek to do short trek simultaneous with season four to me is just a you know win-win most of all it's narratively a win-win back to this narrative uh, we're getting ready to eject the warp core. Indeed, it does. We see it fall. Maybe I have some engineering quibbles about how the the ejection shunt is big enough for it to kind of clink, clang, clang around in there, but it makes for a great visual. Uh, it drops and drops and drops. Burnham calls for the jump. Book, jump. Come on, book, jump. Uh, we <laughs> have close-ups yeah. <laughs> close on Burnham. We have a, a close-up on the warp core. We're a mid-shot on the warp core. Pulsing, 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 pulsing. Then rather repeating the trick from the owo fake out but repeating it to great effect here we see the exterior of the viridian kind of you know going out decompressing a little bit then the full explosion oh no pete as we fade to white have they killed everyone is this the end of star trek discovery back to planet dilithium at and the hollow ship where a hologram of sukal's mother dr isa uh, asks that they take her son, they take Sukal back to uh, Kaminar, to the uh, the estuary that is so salty here that uh, they would float and to tell his grandfather to float him. They will look up at uh, Nerid's shower of meteors there and that the brightest stars will be his mother and his father with all the love in their hearts uh, that they hold looking down and the full realization by Sukal causing the burn. He'd like to repair what he's broken, but it's not his fault. He's told all this while the ship is crumbling and then Burnham contacts Saru beams them up are they going outside indeed they are discovery above the crumbling ship here take us to hq matt right before we go there the the writer's playbook calls for uh the mother's message in a bottle written letter hollow message etc um and i'm not criticizing michelle paradise for using it i'm saying that's the place you go the fact that it is doing double duty and setting up the story seed of Saru being a foster uh, father of sorts to Sukal to take him to Kaminar, which itself is setting up the availability for, Pete, I won't say the end of the episode quite yet, but, you know, but, but, but setting that up and setting up the availability in the captain's chair, the, it's all so wonderfully aligned and it's so coolly stated here just as 
the mother's dying message when in fact it's setting up multiple character points for multiple characters and the, the end of this season and the beginning of season four just astonishing job there but as you say back at federation hq uh, we see the other ships lined up in respect uh, we have a vernum voice voiceover on the topic of disconnection the future began with it to a point that no one remembered connection is even possible but it is and we have this need to connect at our core we see in montage burnham welcomed back by many though pete not stamets who gives her a bit of a cold shoulder uh indeed as stamets is seen with culber and with adira and kind of by extension with gray so that that family unit that we had discussed how well the show had brought that along as a family unit that we believe in we believe in it now uh we see reno and owo fixing the dot uh it, it awakes and uh and recognizes reno and owo perhaps pete spore data intact there we're told that the federation is rebuilding pete we see the character i'd like to refer to as trill ronnie from the creek uh we're, we're told that the trill have rejoined the federation other worlds may join, including Navarre. Uh, we see the president returning there. On Kaminar, Seru has stepped away from his Starfleet service to help Sukal build a new life uh, and one filled with wonder. Uh, and then, Pete, take us back to HQ again and the return of a character that some were concerned the show had forgotten about. That hope is you. Part one, Matt, introduced us, of course to the character of uh, Federation officer Adita Sahil. And here he comes back 12 episodes later in That Hope Is You, part two, uh, meets with Burnham, uh, Lieutenant Sahil here, able to reconnect with the rest of the Federation found his way home. They all have. Uh, it's a it's a great scene in terms of book ending. Uh, the parts of the beginning and obviously the cap of the season here, and catapults us into the conversation between Vance and uh, Burnham. Uh, really. The, the discussion about his daughter uh, not using numbers when she learned to do math, that she would draw things. And it's a disclosure Burnham didn't even know he had a family. Uh, and they're going to join him again someday. But the point is, though her daughter, though his daughter didn't do things the right way, it still worked. And Burnham didn't do things the right way but they worked and there's been a passage of time. The trust has uh, been generated and uh, she Burnham has found her place. This scene, among other things, it's a stunning shift in performance from Oded fear. He has been so gruff and weight of the Federation on his shoulders for so long that I think we forgot that, you know, we forgot that the, the guy's an actor. We forgot that he can smile and things like that for him to just be relaxed for him to be at a time of peace and a time of prosperity and a time of hope. Um, 
And yet again, Oded Fear is asked, can you just share all of that, like, with how you act while you say words that advance the plot? You know, he doesn't get a big speech of, you know, peace in our time and things of that sort. He just needs to emote it, and he does. Um, and as you say, Pete, he makes that connection between the stubborn daughter of his, uh, but found a way that things worked. The same is true for Burnham. She saw how to step up to the times and how she challenged others to do the same. Saru wants her to Captain Discovery, and Vance wants that too. Pete, she looks shocked, as perhaps many of us are. I know I saw something on Twitter that said, this is not out of the blue. The first scene in the pilot talks about how she needs mm. to think about command sometime soon. I would say yes to that. I would also say I personally did not see this coming and that's a credit to the narrative where so mm -hmm. much is going on and so much is well constructed. And in a season where we came in with a captain question and we knew it would be dealt with and all right, it's going to be Saru. Not every lead on a Star Trek show has to be the captain, but it was all along this season, the plan to put Burnham in the chair at the end. Uh, and we'll discuss what all that means for her, what all that means for Saru and, and all the other uh, people on Discovery in a little bit. But now is where you do the transition. Now is where they are fully members of this 32nd century Starfleet. We get the badge. We get the stripes. We get the new uniform. We get the hair done a little bit differently and just the great uh scene of entering the bridge here matt here is Sinequa martin green as a black woman entering the bridge you know we go back to uh original series star trek uhura inspiring future african-american astronauts and as is going to be echoed by uh voices of our listeners in a little bit, this cannot be understated how important this is. Add to that, director Olentundi Atsutsami uh, adds a couple of slow motion moments to, to the camera work here. Um, one at the very end of the Vance scene, then right towards the end of the episode, there's a pause um, before she says, let's fly. I think maybe if they had a little bit more time, they would have shot those slow motion moments in better slow motion as opposed to just slowing down the footage that they had. Again, I hesitate to say that off of your moment, Pete, the larger moment here of representation and aspiration, but wanted to mention the great successes here of the director taking what he could in these waning, you know, days before so much shut down across the world. Um, we see his vision of how these scenes should be shot. And then that's what I want to highlight here. Even though I suspect he didn't get every moment of coverage that he wanted, he made it wonderful nonetheless. And to just to have this moment with the, the new, well, the old crew in new uniforms, Burnham sitting in triumph, um, sitting with an ease to herself that we have, we've seen the ease, but when she wasn't in Starfleet at the beginning of the episode, at the beginning of the season, whatnot, it's taken these episodes to get here, but gotten here we have. Uh, this task of bringing dilithium shipments to those who need it uh, is reiterated by Tilly. 
uh, at her at her uh, position there. All report ready, and Burnham then pauses, saying, "You know, we had it teased earlier in the season. What's the captain's, you know, what's the captain's uh, l- little phrase here?" She gives us, "Let's fly." And then we have Discovery leaving HQ, moving through the shield, and then warping away to end this phenomenal season. Pete, we have an incoming threat analysis and two familiar faces on it. Let's start with Minister Osira. And saying goodbye to both here. Uh, Janet Kidder's Osira uh, definitely grew on me throughout the season. Uh, but we really don't need her anymore. And three phaser shotguns to the chest is Star Trek Discovery code for, uh, and that's a wrap on Janet Kidder. I think that Osira will forever be linked with uh, not just the season that this came out, because of course she appeared in season three, but the the times surrounding it. And though it's a line not from this episode, uh, it is a line I referenced earlier, this notion that Osira is more than she seems to be and exactly what she seems to be. I think Osira is forever going to be linked in the mind of Star Trek fans to 2020 and these early days in 2021 and uh, you know pete i don't know i don't want to make too contemporaneous a connection to it but i just think that forever you're gonna you're gonna say oh yeah there are there are osiris out there there have been there will be and it's more than just hey this is an attractive canadian lady with a black wig and green makeup there's there's substance to her villainy and it's it's villainy that's beyond cool long fingernails and a great yeah, uh, a great fight in a really shiny white room. She represents a wolf in sheep's clothing type of threat that we uh, should not lose track of in the real world. For a two-dimensional character to become as three-dimensional as she did with the limited amount that we know about her speaks again to this production. And then because every great threat needs uh, a number two that could function as their own heavy Zara having been the big bad of that second episode there, uh, what with uh, the colony, uh, book sending him to his end here in this expansive inside of Discovery, and maybe they will find a uh, a freezer burned uh, finger at some point. <laughs> um. <laughs> Perhaps uh, part of me wanted to say another, uh, you know, another uh, threat here was the expansive volume inside. They've showed it before. I am okay saying, you know what, it is actually more preposterous to say we can take your body and make it magically tinkle from up in a spaceship to down into a planet. That's more ridiculous than we built a big space. We built a big hangar and we ran some tracks through it. Okay, to say we built a thing that turns your poopy into steak and now you eat it and it's yummy. <laughs> that's actually more ridiculous than we built a big place that has roller coaster rails on it and it's a uh, future roller coaster rails that appear only when the thing in the like at a certain point you go, this is all pretend. We'll just let it go here. Uh Pete, I can I can leave my planet dilithium and say if the story wants to have an ultra fun fight out that's not in a narrow, you know, kind of diehard style elevator uh, shaft, but instead is going to be in 
a warehouse of warehouses. Okay, that's fine. And we saw it used to wonderful effect with Zara's exit here. The the push from the high height, the hit, the flipping, all of that. It served the story. Zara served the story. A wonderful villain whose kind of slimy, slinky ways were, were both clear and his motivations nonetheless feeling complex. And uh, I say curtains and adios to Zara. Pete, let's attune those long-range sensors to uh, an uncertain, but certainly welcome and happy future. Where would you like to begin? I think it bears mentioning that, you know, Captain Burnham and with Saru on Kaminar and Sukal, you know, is, is Sukal a, a member of this cast now uh his ability his connection to dilithium the uh need to move dilithium around i mean i'm a little uh concerned of the setup of discovery as delivery ship for the federation to all these places with dilithium i mean obviously that's how you're couching the end of the season that's that's not what they do now um but, uh, you know, if the plan, as they say all along, was to move Burnham into the chair at the end of the season, I think we can all agree that's what it should be. Uh, so does Saru come back and is number one, hence Tilly's acting number one? Does Saru come back and he just reintegrates with the crew and the 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 title and the position doesn't even matter. Then a lot of it can put on with new uniforms and, you know, moments needed in the finale here and, and officially makes them part of this future um, that Tilly has on blue, that Burnham has on red. Remember we have changed from the original series and what, some of the colors meant before and the next generation era where red became command and gold was uh, operations. Uh, so a little bit of that going on. Uh, what say you? Well, we have the Colber line where he, he posits that as soon as Sukal is off this planet, everything will be fine. I mean, that's not a direct quote, but I think that's the sentiment I wouldn't be surprised if the next time Sue Call shows up, there's some sciency line that says, yes, yes, he's dilithium sensitive, but it would take a planet's worth for him to do anything. And even a, even a moon's worth, he couldn't even begin to budge. Like just something to sit and say, no, he's not the walking dilithium bomb. He's not going to get too close in engineering and have you know, a rumbly tummy because he, cause he skipped lunch and then that's going to lead to everything exploding. Like, I think it was the story's way of saying, and at the end of the season, Sukal will never bother us again. You know, do you leave a little bit of a trap door in case he needs to return to the dilithium planet? Okay, maybe, but I don't think, I don't think that's a story concern moving forward. As for the question of Seru, Pete, I'm reminded of, of when I discovered, to my astonishment, uh, in the course of the official Battlestar Galactica podcast that Ron Moore did, um, and many of them, he would return, he would record 
uh, either in the writing room as they wrapped up an episode or right when episode first aired, that kind of, that sort of thing. But that there would be times that he would say, it was somewhere in season two, maybe the season two A, season two B, something like that, where it was like his original thought was, uh, and then somebody turns around and it's Dirk Benedict in a in a in a in a cloak, and like the person who's talking to him is like, so you didn't you end up not going with that? What would that have been? He's like, I have no idea what that would have been. We just were going to wrap that up and figure it out later. And it was this astonishing thing that, wait, you can be writing the a serial story and just leave yourself an open ended thing and not know where it's necessarily headed but be like you know what when we come back in four months after summer break we're going to figure it out it's it's enough of a hanging thing so what's the question to do with saru i mean do you make him an admiral who's on the ship or do you make him a commodore you know whatever it is i don't think we're losing doug jones i don't think we're changing the fact Doug jones who's filming season four right now right the doug jones who's filming season four like however it is that they're going to use him Doug Jones has always been the second build actor on the show. So Nika Martin-Green has always been the first build person. Let's not lose sight of both of those facts. Let's not lose sight of the fact that they wanted her and got her. Also high on that list was, you know, the internationally well-known makeup man, Doug Jones. You know, this is not a case of, you know, oh man, well, we just had uh, Anson Mount come for a season and whatnot. Like, Whatever story reason they come up with, it might be slightly story baloney to be like, it's now Ambassador Saru. Oh, wait, we're caught in the dilithium waves, and now he's going to be the ambassador who technically does not have a Starfleet rank on the ship, but nonetheless has all this insight. Uh, That's, of course, why he's going to be on the bridge for the next four episodes while they try and get through the rainbow waves that are trapping. Like, whatever it is, you can come up with stuff to have Doug Jones and Saru be on the show without being like well she's the only captain and he can't be captain anymore so go in the story hole we don't see you anymore with the shift from the past to the future uh at the end of season two and into season three you lost a layer with saru leaving his sister sarana behind and here in this episode for the first time ever we mentioned his mother um which i think is important and now he's effectively a father bringing Sukal home to an obviously digitally rendered hilltop overlooking a, a city now on Well, Cam- you're saying that they didn't film that on Kaminar? Gene would have <laughs> filmed on Kaminar, darn it. Well, you know, they had lockdown there too, Matt. In, in early March, it may, it may still. I don't know what the conditions are on on Kaminar right now. We don't have an dilithium to get there. Okay, so um, to to put him there, I really like that they've reestablished um, and and done too throughout this season with the idea that there haven't been many Kelpian faces, and I'm interested too to see if we can layer upon for season four. All right, what does the Kelpian Baul uh, partnership look like? We we've seen the worst of it. We knew that at one point there was better symbiosis because of the sphere data. Now, are they how do they get along? And you're 100% right. You don't write season 4 in season 3. You write season 3 and then you write season 4. So whether it's, you know, well, who's under that cloak and decide that later and, and, and how did he get there or whatnot? 
you know, there is a plan, there, there's an idea, but you're not writing those episodes now. They've written season four, or more accurately stated that, because writers were tweeting during the uh, siege on the Capitol the other day, breaking stories, but hey, what do you know? Uh, it, it's really hard to do that when you're watching this. And it, it's uh, obviously, uh, you know, defraying your attention from your job. But um, they're working on all of that. And the idea that we've had a season uh, finale air now where they're actively shooting the next season, that's not happened with this show yet. And yes, COVID and precautions uh, and, and the need to take care of, of all of that. But we're likely much closer to more Star Trek Discovery than we are not. I suppose time will tell. I mean, traditionally it's been about, I don't know, 10 months. Certainly the fact the show is not shy to release episodes while they are still filming. That was That was season one, for example. I think that Maybe that's not ideal, but these clearly are not ideal TV and film production times. Um, furthermore, there's a there's a service that needs it. Uh, side note, Pete, when I log into our shared CBS All Access account now, it now no longer shows me um, how long my month is for. Like, I think that they've put in subtle things to prevent or to dissuade from canceling. Uh, although, Pete, the discussion after we get done recording is uh i'm pretty sure we have about uh 25 days left i think the bill date was a couple days ago can i delete my account because there's nothing of interest on there other than star trek but 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 i digress um it'll be interesting to see what star trek's future is for 2021 clearly there was the intention when they shot season three that um they would have gone into production on the section 31 show uh, a handful of months later. So probably let's just use current dates. Cause of course, discovery came out later than they had intentionally imagined because of COVID and all that. But let's just, let's stick with the current timeline. I think the plan probably would have been fine. We've ended here in January. Hey, in March, in late March, uh, section 31 starts. Well, we know that's not happening to our knowledge. They have not start started filming. And even if they have, it's been, you know, November or December. Um, we know that there's more lower decks on the way. They're in the process of beginning to animate some of those episodes, some of it in early animation, some of it not animated at all. So that's not ready to go quite yet either. I'm hoping somewhere in the, I don't know, the 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 St. Patrick's to uh, Easter slash Passover range, somewhere in there in the spring, my hope is that we can get 10 weeks of lower decks at which point maybe some short live action short tracks are ready to go. And that could set up uh, as I think you're prognosticating Pete, maybe discovery returning in the fall. Hey, as long as they can work it around uh, Falcon and the winter soldier and Loki for us, I'd be more than happy to uh, help them out by podcasting it. Um, Matt Adira is now a member of Starfleet. Pete, no question that Adira has shown proof of the ability to lead in the situation, to think heads up, to use technology, to use resources, all of those things. 
and uh, they are a welcome addition to Starfleet, and certainly a welcome addition to uh, you know being a recurring cast member or in the main cast or however it's going to be credited up there on screen. But uh, just you know, great to know that Adira will be back next season. This little family unit that is developed with Adira essentially as the child of uh, Stanitz and Culber. And the drama in the last two episodes for Stamets separated from Culber, from Adira. Uh, now, again, the strategic importance. Does it set up a situation where potentially that family is broken up from time to time and that becomes drama for the fourth season? Well, yeah, I think there's your benefit that with all due respect to the show, it it hasn't always known what to do with the main cast characters from episode to episode. And here's some evidence. Wilson Cruz is not in every episode. Uh, he is a beloved member of the cast. He is, uh, Pete, I would argue he and Anthony Rapp have been more, um, have, have, have risked more on social media in terms of being outspoken about uh, politics and current day events. They, as middle-aged actors currently employed uh full-time they put themselves to 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 greater risk of you know nonsense and fire and fire culture and all that stuff they put themselves to more risk than with all with all and great due respect say to marina sirtis who is not currently in the middle of working on a on a series you know she's certainly much more (laughs) brash in how she's outspoken but she's She's in semi-retirement phase, having had having had the the the, the years of milk and honey a bit behind her. Um, so to have these two guys not necessarily used well in every episode, because you don't always need the doctor or the engineer to come in and say, "Oh no, you're bleeding. Let me," you know. But now you can say, you know, whatever Adira's trouble is in the main plot. Ah, oh, there's been a dilithium explosion. All right. Adira can now go home where Father Culber or Father Stamets can say, let me, let me not tend to your wounds. Those were dealt with. Let me tell you a story of my childhood or let me uh, aid you or let you inspire me or whatever it is you get emotional stuff as opposed to action stuff. From the moment that Gray showed up and Ian Alexander uh, playing the role this season had to figure there would be more. And now, uh, that he's been seen and the, the metaphor there and how important that is and, and how you couldn't feel good for the character and the actor simultaneously there. That is uh, definitively a storyline which will carry into season four. And what I like, well, I mean, I guess I, I, I like two things best. First of all, his line about being seen and all that that carries in terms of metaphor for him as a character, for him as an actor, for for uh, visibility, for LGBTQ plus people, and so forth. I mean, this is all part of not the Starfleet charter. It's part of the Star Trek charter. Um, add to it, there's a certain knee-jerk ridiculousness to like, and you're going to bring him back as a hologram, and then you say, wait, time out. As ridiculous as the beloved Voyager Doctor as ridiculous as the much less screen time, but also quite beloved next generation holodeck Moriarty. Like 
we've already been down the road for this solution and gone, I don't know, somehow the light robot who takes your temperature and who can like stitch your cut ends up becoming an opera singer who's a big brother to a Borg, half Borg lady, and it works and we love him for it. So too, we can do it with this, with, with whatever bleep bloop blop that they come in with in terms of Adira, as long as you wear this patch, which is going to be a light blinky for one episode, then we're going to say, I'm so glad we were able to put that under your skin, and now you don't need to spend 20 extra minutes in makeup getting that thing glued to your neck and you know, changing out the battery when the blinky stops. Instead, now when you think gray, gray appears and all can see because it's a subdural hollow emitter as well. Like, you can just throw some science fiction tech at it and... Now, now he uh, Gray is there, and what it does too with that family dynamic that Stamets has that little unit, this holdover tension. All right, we get the sick bay reunion. Colbert, Adira, Stamets, Burnham catches the icy look from Stamets. He's a little bit more of a, a softer and accepting look from Stamets in the new uniform on the bridge. But another thing that has to carry over. I, Pete, I have not uh, been a law enforcement person. I have not been in the military. Uh, I know these things primarily through, through pop culture, TV and film. Um, I am displeased with Stamets as a person, not the writing, not Anthony Rapp's acting. I'm displeased that this season, the character of Stamets, or Stamets as a person, everyone look at it, that he has not been more cognizant of duty and chain of command. Uh, I'm reminded of the excellent uh, submarine movie. I, I think it's Crimson Tide. I'm a big submarine movie guy, so sometimes they blur together. But, you know, oh no, there's a leak down in the lower section um, if we don't close that hatch immediately, the whole ship is going to go down. The whole submarine is going to go down. But wait, sir, there's still three guys under there. They might wait, make their way out. Nope. Close the hatch. The three are going to drown. The hundred on the ship are going to live. That's a, that, that, at least in the movie, that's a real life decision. Uh, things like having law enforcement officers stand and hold the line and not step away um, because that's your duty. Again, that's not a decision I've ever had had to make, and I imagine it's a it's, it's a challenging one. But an officer in their in, an officer following their duty stands the line, and, and and even if it's not where they want to be, Stamets here in in a number of episodes, kind of cranky, spiteful, not understanding chain of command, not going with the the, the duty towards the group as opposed to that of the individual. To me, it makes him a little bit more of a flawed person, but in that he's a better character because the best characters are the ones with flaws, not the heroes that are, you know, etched in granite. Well, in so much that conflict drives plot, you see the need for it. But I absolutely recognize the the character's uh, feelings, why he feels that Burnham has... Uh, you know, betrayed his trust. So I'm interested to see how they will uh, play that out moving forward. Have we seen the last of the Emerald Chain, Matt? I think the story says yes. Probably you could make an argument and say, well, wait a minute. If, if I kind of imagine my world map and kind of like 
and this is Cold War era, and kind of like the Federation, diminished as it is, is kind of like over here in the West, whether it's U.S. and Europe or whatever. It's kind of over here. And the chain is equally powerful. It's kind of over there in the East. Um, Fine, they lost Osira and a ship. That makes everything on the green side of the map go away, question mark? Um, Again, I think kind of geopolitically, you can say, I don't buy that. I think the story, though, has said, we're not definitively going to do Return of the Jedi, statues toppling over, etc. But we are going to say, next season is not Federation versus um, Emerald Chain. In fact, uh, Federation worlds now get free dilithium, everybody. Emerald Chain that relies on the dilithium. Wait, the dwindling dilithium. Uh, oh man, Pete, it's the middle of season four. Can you believe Andor has come back? Oh my, it's it's through peace and through trade and things like that. I think that's more where we're headed versus, you know, <laughs> Star Trek Discovery season four, colon, the wrath of Emerald Chain part two, you know, that sort of thing. Well, Matt, we don't need a syndicate of uh, people uh making mercantile exchanges and things like that. When we have the uh, fleet at patreon.com slash fantastic geek, keeping our sales aloft. We feel so proud to continue to be listener supported. And the fact that we have not only maintained uh, our patrons, uh, let's say in the last, uh, in this last season of, of discovery, but also added some, this notion of what value do we provide to you? Uh, Pete, I know there are some people that are like, oh, I feel bad doing a dollar a month. Dollar a month helps. It goes a long way. Whatever the level is that you are able to help and whatever the level is that, that matches uh, the value you get out of this podcast, uh, it, is, it is so, so appreciated, particularly as, you know, Pete, it's 2021, but there's a little bit of a 2020 hangover in, in the world. Uh, but as we look ahead to not just uh, the, the the sad but wonderful conclusion of season three of Star Trek Discovery, but all the things on the schedule that are ahead, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, Star Trek Lower Decks, uh, hopefully Discovery before 2021 is over, Discovery season four, the return to going to movie theaters, uh, our ability to podcast all Boba this. Fett. Absolutely. I, and it's all it's all with that foundation of those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. So head on over there, whether it is in the form of early listens or exclusive content, going to do everything we can to make that worth your while. And thanks again for helping us do what we do. With that, let's head to hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Pete, we start not with our poll, but with a comment left over on that aforementioned Patreon page. Yes, Dana Pearson writes in, of all, uh, uppercase here, Matt, the Discovery reviewers, and there's an S load, she says. I got to maintain our iTunes, Apple podcast rating. Okay. You two are by caps far my favorite. Love your attitude fun and enjoyable discussions and kickbacks on the haters who all seem like closet white supremacists. Speaking of S I was laughing at all the, Oh my reactions. It's, it is comical. It's all just molecules. Heart emoji. Did you know they're using poop, giving it to folks orally 
with effed up uh, mictobiomes in capsules and capsules to help reestablish a healthy gut. Our culture is so ruled by outdated uh, morality, ignorance. It's funny. So what Dana is referring to, uh, somebody particularly like in the, a case of like uh, an outbreak of C. diff or something like that, uh, they will actually take uh, feces and they will reintroduce it to someone's um, digestive system so that they develop those healthy bacteria. Uh, she continues here. Thanks for all you do. It's a drag. I don't have Disney, but too much needs doing to get hooked on another set of shows. Uh, wish you were covering The Expanse. Amazing show and only a couple podcasters covering it. Uh, crying emoji. Uh, the scream emoji. Pete, maybe we'll, maybe we'll fix to our... <laughs> On the schedule right now, the dates run out. The definitive dates run out uh, with Eternals on eleven fifteen, uh, and then some prognostications from there. Um, maybe on the on the prognostication portion, uh, I I think the Expanse is in about season five. I think it's going to season mm -hmm. seven. Maybe at some point in the future, we do the uh, looking back at the Expanse podcast, or you know, it, it's all over. Let's now two Expanse newbies go to the beginning, but. Um, also, on the topic of, of food and whatnot, it does occur to me, you know, we take the cow manure, we use it to fertilize the plants that we then put on our table, uh, and then some of the other plants we feed to the cow and turn that into, you know, the milk and the butter and the beef and whatnot. So, it, Pete, it's all poop at a certain point, I suppose. But most importantly, so great. I mean, it's great to hear the positive praise, but here's my biggest takeaway from from her message there. I, I have to bring it back to Burnham's words here, you know, from this episode, connection is possible this, this uh, year that, like I said, it, it still kind of feels like 2020 in the last week. Um, the fact that we all are able to connect talking about this, that's the, that's the great and intangible joy that we get out of doing this is that we're, we're connecting with, we're connecting with all of you who are listening. On that note, Pete, let's check the Twitter poll. Um, this one slightly delayed because I was like, oh my goodness, any reference I make, I don't want to spoil for the Netflix viewers, you know, the, the captaincy reveal at the end. Uh, the choices were Admiral, Captain, Commander, and Lieutenant. Even as I was typing that, I'm like, some people are going to find this and just give the low vote. Pete, 8.9% gave it the Lieutenant vote, which is ridiculous. Even if you, even if you personally don't buy the Burnham captaincy at the end as something that was set up. If you don't feel it, okay. If you don't, I mean, what else was wrong with the episode? No, if you feel personally offended by Sukal, I still contend, Pete, Sukal is meant to be a proxy of certain Star Trek fans with a certain mentality and, and whatnot. Even if you're personally offended by that, this is not a one out of four episode. Uh, for Commander, it got 0%. For Captain, it got 26.7%. And for Admiral, it got 64.4%. Pete, the way this episode ended, I mean, to me, this is a four out of four. This is a five out of four for how it ended and just the the, the Star Trek uplift there. But uh, we heard from some people, including JT Atkins, that's at JTA is me, who said, uh, loved it so much. I'd like to offer a voluminous exposition of my abundant appreciation for this episode and season. But I've got to deliver some dilithium stat. Hoping I can comment more before your season wrap. Let's fly. 
So JT reminding everybody that if you want to comment more on this episode or indeed on the season as a whole, uh, we'll be doing the season wrap next week, next Saturday. So, so you have some time. Uh, we heard from uh, James, that's at Big Killin on Twitter. James the Sagacious, as he's known around these parts. Captain rank for me, but 10 out of 10. More on Facebook. It's Pete, I hope, hope you got some James stuff in a little bit. Uh, we heard from Andre Yeager, that's at Dr. Polo1983. In my opinion, this was one of the most important episodes that Star Trek has ever created. The fact that a woman of color is now sitting in the captain's chair is incredible. I watched the latest episode of The Ready Room after the episode, and you can see how it affected her. She cried several times, speaking of the importance of representation. Oh yeah, I liked the rest of the episode as well, but had to highlight that first. Only disappointment is that uh, they didn't directly address the song, and Burnham's mother didn't show up. Pete, I cannot believe that we are almost 90 minutes into this podcast, and we have not discussed either of those things which are ostensibly missing. To me, that goes to the credit of the constructed mm-hmm. episode that we did see that we didn't say, but wait this, but wait that. But, but what about it? Exactly. And all right, some quibbles about what discovery looks inside that there's, you know, 500 football fields worth of space in, in something that shouldn't have it uh, and not drawn to, but wait, they set this up. I mean, Navarre showed up for all intents and purposes, moms on those ships. You had asked me about the song last week. I feel that the song and hints of the song are in this episode uh, in terms of Jeff Russo's score. I feel that it's served its purpose. So no need to do that. And again, a credit to this production. I, th- I have to wonder too, with points like that, uh, I'll certainly take more episodes than less all the time. Um, are there benefits to saying, hey, we're doing six episodes, we're doing eight episodes, whatever it is. Here's our slightly lower episode count. And we're going to start filming in 10 months. We are going to have six 35-minute scripts perfectly ready to go story-wise before we even start to film. I'm kind of thinking more of the Mandalorian end where, yes, we know in the Mandalorian some of those episodes were small scripts and it basically was like, I don't know, director, make action better. Um, and and that was done quite well. But in terms of here are the 15 story beats you need to hit in your episode, all those were figured out months and months ago. I don't know if that's I don't know if some of the things like Andre is talking about, do we have a slightly better through line of the song if the entire season was shot after all the scripts were completely written? But then, of course, there's never a final draft because you're always making changes. So who knows? Pete, let's move on to Brett Desmo Williams. It's at BW Desmo on Twitter. So much good. Production value is cinema quality. Action is top notch. I feel like Sukal, Hope 1 and 2 have taken uh, have to be taken as a whole. Osiris choking out Aurelio was intense. The whole episode was intense. Navarre to the rescue. Gray is a hollow. Heart emoji. Sahil gets a uniform. Shuttle Bay. Um, Peter, that may be a reference to the fact that the the Shuttle Bay door was closed at the end of the episode, which I think some of us uh, engineering, uh, you know, stick in the muds were happy about. But um, I will agree with Brett. This episode, I mean, the whole season was had great production value. This episode looked like a movie. There, there are many Star Trek movies and many movie movies that did not look as good as this. Yeah, I, I just think that with the amount of money that 
it takes for this show to be produced. They're really giving you every bit of bang for that buck. Uh, I see here that Brett actually has another tweet. It, it, somehow Twitter didn't didn't thread it. So Shuttle Bay gets a door, and finally Burnham gets the chair. Nits to pick. TARDIS-like physics of Disco's inside space. Giant upright tub of programmable matter. The burn cause meh. Should have saved Osira for a future baddie. So Pete, I think that that's a credit to Osira that it's like ah, if only if only we had her as more. Not a place I thought we were going to be when we first heard her name or even saw her for the first time. So, again, credit to the writers, credit to the performer for making her somebody that we feel like we're going to miss. Uh, we heard from Spider-Ham Lincoln. That's at Tess LC 139 Hello, Matt and Pete. I voted captain in the poll because that's how the episode ended. Let's fly, but my real vote is four out of four stars. I sent uh, Fantastic Geek a separate email because my thoughts would have taken 12 plus tweets around, uh, tweets this time around. So I look forward to reading that in a bit, Pete. And then uh, to conclude the tweets here from Boldly Going Wherever, that's at K C L Y L E 1. Sad to see it end, but a great send off for the season. But what's up with Saru? Burnham as captain was foreseeable. Uh, if he's gone, what's that mean for Tilly? Stamets holding a grudge? Might we see Hollow Gray on Discovery? These are all questions that make me want to get to season four. Uh, great visuals, uh, as always. Outstanding performances. Nice action scenes. But do we think they wouldn't get out of the Viridian? Such a good show. Thank goodness all the episodes are available to watch. Yes, there were a few issues, but overall, a great episode and a great season. With that, Pete, take us to Facebook. Yes, the aforementioned James Killen with more here on the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. Hello, MNP and all Fantastic Geek listeners. Riffing a little bit on uh, on Fred's salutation there uh, by James. I like it. Uh, wanted to give some thoughts on the Disco Season 3 finale. First, the small nitpicks. Uh, one, I really don't like the inner ship physics of this era. I think we saw similar on Pike's Enterprise. Uh, too much open space. Two, the sphere data plotline fell flat, but it isn't going away, so it's forgivable. Three, no on-screen interaction with the Navarre fleet slash Mommy Burnham was a letdown. Mama Burnham was a letdown. Four, the writers are kind of awkward getting Disco in and out of tight situations. The entire fleet couldn't disable them? Couldn't they jump? Uh, with the warp core, the good one, if this show does one thing better than all other shows, it's that it continues to reinvent itself. We know we are in for a completely new tone in season four, just based on the last three minutes of the season Two, gray showing up in the hollow program as a being of the greater Vulcan diaspora was stunning three. The fan service of all the current Trek shows is tasteful and well-earned. Four, the overall representation has been amazing. They find ways to be inclusive that fit into the universe. The addition of Aurelio in the upright wheelchair or hover stand is a great evolution of differently abled representation for this franchise. Five, Sonequa Martin-Green slash Captain Burnham just wow 
I can't help thinking about what her character evolution will mean to young girls watching this show. If Nichelle Nichols was inspirational to Stacey Abrams, thinking about this show's impact on the future generations brings me to tears. In a vacation episode of The Flash, Candace Patton was, quote, allowed, unquote, to wear her hair in curls, and I saw grown women lose their minds in appreciation. Sorry for that deep plug. Mainstream media has a near ban on showing women of color with natural or varied hairstyles. Zooming in on SMG and her braids while she occupied, all caps, the chairs, was really touching to me. I feel like the writers took a note from DS9 in Burnham's promotion to Captain. Uh, DS9 got off to a rough start in part because the producers wouldn't let Avery Brooks be Avery Brooks. Uh, when it when he finally shaves his head and rocks the goatee, the show and the character magnify tenfold. In Disco, Burnham takes the best part of everyone around her after three seasons, including two Philippus, Saru, and Tilly, and becomes new version of herself. She was born to lead a future galaxy, and Admiral Vance knows it. Admiral Fred and others have expressed some displeasure with Burnham's demeanor and tone. I have a feeling SMG has been holding back, and we will see a different Burnham next season, like Sir Patrick at the end of Picard. Six, let's fly. Wonderful, wonderful words there. And as I've said before, I can only say it again, kind of in awe of the summation there by James. It's in my mind, it's only Star Trek that has impacted people's trajectories in in the world um in terms of these inspirations and these seismic changes in 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 paths of life um i'm sure that i'm probably you know cutting a whole bunch of medical shows short you know so-and-so became a really fantastic neurologist because of mash or er or whatever so i'm not saying star trek owns the owns the ability to inspire people but star trek and in my mind alone sits at a crossroads to really reasonably get you to think that the impossible could be possible and and what can you do to work towards it and you know here we are with three seasons of discovery under our belt having explored uh you know great science fiction stories and adventures and whatnot but just adding to that representation and in a way that continues to inspire whether you know, me or you or whomever is a particular part of this group or that group or the other. It's, it's, you know, as I said before, it's part of that Star Trek charter uh, to, you know, to have infinite diversity and infinite combinations. This is an episode that ends with a Gene Roddenberry quote um, that, again, will always, in my mind, be linked to the day I watched this, the week I watched this. Uh, it, it's a bittersweet quote that talks about uh, the separation that we have from each other and how the job is to try and find some sort of connection. And Star Trek finds the connection with people that are like us and the people that aren't like us. 
in a way that I think few shows ever uh, have. Little did Alex Kurtzman and Michelle Paradise uh, know how much more prescient season three of Discovery would be uh, than how they ended the season and, and what was going on in the world the day before. Also on Facebook, Matt, Victor Nee Tho Hing writes in, Hi guys, just finished the season finale and I have mixed feelings. I still can't shake that Osira's offer to the Federation was reasonable and quite courageous from her perspective. It was a fair compromise of the values of both sides. It felt, I felt the Federation's uh, conditions that she put herself up for trial was a bit too rigid and sanctimonious given the circumstances they were all in. When South Africa got rid of apartheid, they held truth and reconciliation hearings to allow both sides some kind of mutual healing. Instead, the approach advocated here was a winner-take-all approach. Not sure if that's the right lesson, especially in these, i.e. our, times. Uh, I think that that insight from South Africa probably uh, probably shows the best angels of our humanity. And uh, I'm certainly not here to say, oh, but I have a better version like that. That is us at a that is us as humanity at our best. I suspect that probably wanting to put Osira on trial for her crimes probably had inspiration a bit closer to home than South Africa. Um, also oddly uh, prescient. Um, so I don't know what the right answer is. I love that. I'm not sure. I love that. I can have a debate about the rigidity of justice versus the infallibility of humanity and what is forgiveness and what is consequence. The fact that we're getting all of this from, a show that also can be accessed as green face lady with lasers, bad other lady with, uh, with not a green face and lasers is good. Like there's a real basic fun element to this and there's a real soul searching element to this. uh, And that too is very much Star Trek. Pete, the aforementioned email from Spider-Ham Lincoln, a.k.a. Scott, uh, I shall read to you now. This is about the Hope is You part two. That, that Hope is You part two. Season three was overall enjoyable and a huge success. What a super fun way to end the season. Quick hits. The quick hits are as follows. Captain Burnham. I don't know whether or not this will be a permanent assignment, but I like it for what it is right now. I firmly believe Saru will soon return to Starfleet and the USS Discovery, and I can see him either returning to the captain's chair or deferring to Burnham's promotion and resuming a first officer's role as a self-imposed consequence for his leave of absence. Some might find Discovery's revolving captain's chair a detraction. There have been five I could think of. But I liken it to a breath of fresh story air that keeps the show buzzing and sets it apart from other Trek series. Tilly. Loved her leadership growth and her continued maturation as a lead character. She has earned fan-favorite status, and I hope she gets more chances to spread her wings. Perhaps a newly promoted Lieutenant Junior Grade Sylvia Tilly will greet us in Season 4. Sukal, a.k.a. Baby Saru. His storyline wrapped up well enough, but it was ultimately a little meh. I would have preferred a different reason for the cause of the burn, 
but I'll buy this very fiction-y sci-fi explanation. I liked Saru's developing surrogate-parent relationship, but I don't expect it to continue much into Season 4, nor do I want it to. Glad to see the end of Osira. She was a good, half-season villain, but her time has come. Nice that Burnham took care of her for us. I don't think that the Emerald Chain will be a Season 4 threat, nor do I want them to be. Stamets versus Burnham. There's a lot they need to work through, and I hope it doesn't happen off-screen, in between seasons. She took a risk that could have sacrificed two people very important to Stamets. It will take a while for him to forgive her, and he may never forget. This should create some good drama and tension in Season 4. The mystery of Kovic continues. I reiterate that David Cronenberg is too creepy of a character actor for his Star Trek character to not have a nefarious element. I hope he's a Section 31 agent and he's got the Admiral's ear. Gray and Adira, more please. We've practically been promised a resolution to Gray's non-corporeal problem, so I'm sure we'll get it. Perhaps a permanent hollow solution, complete with a mobile emitter, a la Voyager's Doctor. Speaking of Voyager, I hope we get more than just a name drop of this popular ship in Season 4. I'm sure we'll get a little more Booker, which apparently is not that character's true name. The revelation that he can operate the dash drive was a little out of left field, but whatever. I like how the show keeps giving more story time to secondary characters. I hope season four focuses more on some of those people. Detmer, Awochikan, Reno, Nilsson, Lieutenant Ina, and now Aurelio, who I hope stays with the crew. The inner mechanics of the turbolift shaft scenes were especially exciting. Discovery must have gotten 30-second upgrades to this system, too. The Vulcan Romulan Navarre cavalry was a welcome touch, and I'm kind of glad it wasn't Mother Burnham and her Malat militia uh, who responded. New uniforms. This decision solidifies Discovery's presence in the 32nd century Starfleet and tells the viewer they're not only, uh, that they're only going forward. Leave olden days to strange new worlds and Section 31. I expect a small time jump when Season 4 begins, but hopefully not more than a few months in story. Who, if anyone, will be Season 4's big bad? The Gorn? The Tholians? The 32nd century Klingons? Or will there be a completely new and original threat? I wouldn't mind an appearance from a mud descendant, a Q, or an Odo-like changeling. Sad it couldn't be Rene himself. And when we catch up to the events, uh, and when will we catch up to the events in the Short Trek episode Calypso? Well, I think that's plenty. As always, your podcasts are fantastic. So, Pete, do we still continue with the rolling thousand years that Calypso will be? I just don't know how and even if they still will do that. I, I know there's been a lot of talk. Is is that an alternate universe? Um, did they have this direction in mind? Did they change ideas? Obviously, that that discovery uh, looks different than this current uh, vessel. Uh, so it remains to be seen. Certainly we have the Sorrow Hawk name drop in this episode that I think is meant to go back to the Calypso short. Uh, so certainly some good stuff there. Pete, continuing with the inbox, we have an email from Derg who, who hopes he's not too late. Uh, indeed, not too late at all. Hello, Pete and Matt. Though this season was not perfect, it did a wonderful job of wrapping up uh, all the loose ends from the season and adequately encapsulated the spirit of Trek. I am first of all glad that Michael gets promoted to captain. The crew obviously trusts her, and the only thing missing was the green light by the superiors, and Admiral Vance took care of that. I'm curious how Saru will work back into the equation in Season 4. That's one of the reasons why I look forward to it already. 
nitpicks first. The action scene inside the grandiose space of Discovery was entertaining, uh, but I think I must admit I had trouble suspending my disbelief on how vast the space was. Disappointed at how little Jet Reno was on screen through the last three episodes, Discovery has a villain problem. Osiris shined in terms of a character layer for one episode, the penultimate one, and quickly went back to the one-dimensional one she has otherwise been. This is a problem through all three seasons of Discovery, in my view. Even Lorca in the first season was quickly reduced to one dimension in the last episode. Same with Zara, who started out uh, promising in Far From Home and quickly returned to a despicable bad guy and nothing more. I hope the writers put more care into building the villain's profile in season four. Actors' performances were great, but they were shortchanged by their characterization, I'm afraid. Penultimate episode ended with the .23s acting as if they were going to be important, and they were kind of tossed aside when the finale began. Same with Stamets-Burnham uh, conflict. I don't think it's a stretch to ask why a small dialogue between the two could not have taken place in the finale, just to make us care more about their synergy or lack thereof. Now the positives for the finale and the season. I enjoyed every scene with Sukal, Saru, Adira, Gray, and Culber in the hologram program on the destroyed ship. The, su uh, the support our heroes gave Sukal was Star Trek at its finest. The last two episodes showcased what a great crew Discovery has when they work together and solve a problem. Along with that, I love, love, love how much meaningful screen time the Discovery crew got, not just from the last two episodes, but this whole season. Season 4 will be the first season that they uh, will start where we truly know them and care deeply about every one of them. They're integral parts of the family now. I'm not sure I could have said the same for each yet. Uh, for each, yet yeah, at the end of the first season, for example, and barely at the end of the second. Wilson Cruz's Dr. Kolber shined this season. Writers perhaps realize what an asset they have in him, and every scene that he was uh, in, his screen presence and performance, made Kolber one of the most beloved and consequential characters of Disco. Same with Saru, except that he had uh, been at the forefront uh, from the get-go, thankfully, and who can now deny that Saru is one of the most beloved characters in the franchise? I think no one. Doug Jones is magnificent. Admiral Vance and Book were two fantastic additions to the recurring role cast, and it looks like they will be back next season, which really makes me happy. Bravo also to the actor playing Sukal. This season did a great job of mixing short-term plots with the long arc. The last five minutes of the finale was genuinely emotional in a wonderful way. It made me realize how far Michael and the disco crew have come since arriving to the 32nd century. The visuals continue to be second to none. Take, for example, the shot of the ships warping in pursuit of Osira. What a shot that was. You could literally see them leaving warp traces. Mesmerizing sequence. Now to the big question. How will I survive without a new weekly trek followed by you guys' stellar podcast? Thank you for everything. Looking forward to the next installment. Pete, that's from Dirk the Markalian. Well, I mean, I can kind of solve his, his last problem. It's it's not Star Trek, at least for now, but head over to the WandaVision podcast by Fantastic Geek. You know, we'll be doing that. We'll be going into Falcon and the Winter Soldier and, and Loki immediately after that. And hopefully in the meantime, pretty soon, we're going to get an announcement about uh, Lower Decks, and that'll be next as far as Star Trek is concerned. Well, Pete, it would not be a Star Trek podcast of ours if we did not hear from Admiral Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 3, 
episode 13, de season 3 finale. Nice ending, everybody in new uniforms, Captain Burnham. I was a bit surprised about Admiral Vance, we all, or at least I, expected, and I saw that on internet as well, that he could have had a hidden agenda and that he actually could have been an evil person or a bad person. Well, so far we didn't see anything of that. The only biggest mistake he made, I think, is that he didn't agree on a treaty with Odessa. He was there two Starfleet Rages. And book survived, some people thought he wouldn't. I really wonder which position Saru will take when he comes back to the Discovery. I wonder if that Invigilator Aurelio will stay around. Of course also partly depends on the health of the actor who has ALS. Possibly a little bit of a nitpick is after they blew up one of the cells. They later could just fly with the Discovery. I didn't care so much for the Sukal story, although in this episode the influence of the artwork of Asher has been shown even more, with this whole staircase behind Sukal and Saru. Another possible nitpick is that if you see how far these turbo lifts travel, then the discovery must be immense. Or I just have a wrong feeling for sizes here. And if you then realize that the discovery is fully incorporated into the Viridian, you can't imagine how large the Viridian then must be. I don't know why they took this name by the way. I find his name Viridian very confusing. It always reminds me of Vidians in Star Trek Voyager. These scavengers of body organs because their own organs failed due to a disease called the phage. Okay, Matt and Pete, thank you very much for this nice 13 week ride. Thank you very much for all you do for the podcast. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, I agree with Fred that there might have there might have been a version of this season where there's a reveal that Vance is bad. Uh, I'm okay keeping him in play as a recurring, you know, the recurring face of Starfleet Command next season. And I think too, that's how you keep people guessing that we've been conditioned in Star Trek that the Admiral can't be trusted and has a secret agenda, or that that Kovic is really section 31 and a, and a time soldier and just needed to get Giorgio out of the way. And now infinite dimension domination. Um, so you, you zig, whereas you would zag, um, on the Viridian, uh, I am, it's funny that, uh, it makes, um, Fred think of the Vidians and the phage. And I remember that very, very well. Uh, it always makes me remember Viridium. There's a Viridium patch that Spock slaps on Kirk in Star Trek six. I'll say too, about the Viridian, the, the way it envelops discovery, it kind of was this very James Bond notion. Um, there's multiple James Bond movies where the, 
the large thing eats smaller ships or space capsules or things like that. So, you know, if we're going to be slightly ridiculous with the shape of things, then then so be it. As for Saru's position, Fred and, of course, others have, have pondered that. Pete, I want to double down on the idea of making Fred the Federation ambassador. Making Fred the Federation ambassador. Oh, my, that, that would be quite a thing, although misstated. Making Saru the Federation ambassador to Kaminar. I think that covers all your story bases in terms of Saru gets a promotion. Saru is still part of the Federation Starfleet, you know, kind of government. And it gives him the ability, like I said earlier, to, you know, park in the stateroom on Discovery. And then, oh no, Ensign so-and-so down in the science dish has trouble. Saru can go there. He has a science background. So he can be both Ensign and above uh, and above Burnham at the same time as the story might call for it. It's not a bad idea. I mean, as long as you can keep him on Discovery... We know he speaks to all these languages. We know that he's a first contact specialist. Uh, I, I think it could definitely be something that's explored in season four. Pete, Fred, something of a first contact specialist as well. Always so diligent, always so uh, considerate to sh- have shared his words for discovery. Low these many weeks and indeed for many things uh, that we podcast. So, uh, we thank him certainly for the, the the time he has taken to create these these audio messages through subspace week after week, and uh, and we wouldn't have it any other way. Absolutely, and uh, the, his commitment to our commitment is admirable. Pete, we of course have one more season three Discovery podcast that's going to be this time next week. How can people be in touch with you to talk about the season as a whole, to share prognostications for season four, and to maybe come up with theories about the whole turbo lift situation? <laughs> Interesting that we've all gone there this week. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P I E T E R J K R K E T E L. AAR 11,756 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. As mentioned before, if you're listening on the Discovery feed, we'll be back next Saturday. If you're listening on the pop culture podcast feed the wait not that long we'll be back uh in the next day or two to talk more wandavision for now though pete i will say adios to this episode and to everybody at home and give you the final word what can i say we are starfleet